Please stand for the reading of the word. This morning I'll be reading from Luke chapter 11. And he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has arrived, and I have nothing to set before him. And he answers from within, do not bother me, the door has already been locked, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything out of friendship, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks, receives, and everyone who searches, finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asked for a fish, would give a snake instead of a fish? Or if the child asked for an egg, would give a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The word of the Lord. You may be seated. It's so good to have you here today. I am pumped uh, as we start this new series. We called it Loud, and it's, it's a reflection on prayer. And this is going to be kind of a six-week journey for us, but I want to tell you the bigger picture of what we're doing for this semester, because I want you to see the whole story. This, this semester, we're going to be looking at the question of, of discipleship. What does it mean to be a good disciple of Jesus? And that kind of involves two practices. One is the discipleship of your mind. How do we know what we believe about God and how to believe the good things about God? But also discipleship of practice, that you're, you're not just kind of this disembodied mind that exists. You also have this body, this physical flesh, and those two things, your mind and body, are intricately tied to one another. And so our practice, what we do with our bodies, matters. We can come to know God better through disciplines, spiritual disciplines and habits. And what we're going to do, whether we're talking about how we believe and know about God or, or what we do to experience the presence of God, is going to be our theme for, for this fall. At Highland, we articulate discipleship as the pathway. That's what we call it. It's what's on these big black signs over here on the wall. You can also see them at, at the atrium. We call it the pathway. It's what we're asking you to do if you are a member here at this church. We want you to do four things, and we want you to engage those four things in spiritual rhythms, not just so it's one time and you're done, but rather each of these things is a daily and weekly rhythm of what you commit to. Because what we believe here at Highland is that God is bringing about the restoration of all things. That's what God wants to do in this world, is make all things new. And our job as disciples of Jesus is to participate in that restoration. And so for us, that's articulated in three ways. We want to work, join God to restore Highland, restore our city Abilene, and work to restore the world. And so if you're here, what we would like you to do, what we're going to ask you to do, is to engage in worship. 
And if you think for just a minute what I'm talking about is the 90 minutes that we have right here on Sunday morning, you are sorely mistaken. Worship is so much more than what happens here on Sunday. It is the experience of mystery. It's the feeling of wonder and transcendence when you go to encounter a living God. It happens every day when you put your mind and your heart and your body in the position to hear it. And after you experience the wonder of God, we want you to share those stories with others. We want you to come to tables. Now, that includes the Eucharist that we take every Sunday, but it's so much more than just that moment. It is the sharing of our lives and our stories and our joys and our hurts together in in small groups and in classes and in a million other forms that exist in this body. We believe that Sunday morning is not enough. I want you to hear me clearly. We believe that what you're doing right now is not enough to spiritually completely mature you. You need to be involved in a group of people that know your name and know your heart and carry your burdens. This room is simply too big and you can stay too anonymous for you to grow completely to what God calls you to be. The third thing we want you to gauge in is your baptism. And again, if you think your baptism is just something happened when you were a kid where you met Christ in the water, you're right, but you're also wrong. Your baptism is the ongoing story of what God is doing in your life, the way that God is spiritually maturing you, the way that God is teaching you, the way that God is revealing God's self to you. And those things happen all the time. As you dive deeper into the mystery and the wonder of God is, you realize that pool has no bottom. There is no end to the mystery of God. But we still keep climbing. And as you begin to experience the wonder of God and sharing in the community and the lives and the stories of those around you, and you keep growing more spiritually wise and mature, you cannot help but share that with others. And so the fourth step in our pathway is self-emptying service. It's the road of Jesus. It's the road to the cross. It's what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, that Jesus emptied himself for the sake of the world, and so we do the same thing. And so we find a thousand different ways in our church and in our city and in the world to share the story of Jesus with others. Sometimes we use words, sometimes it's just a cup of cold water. And we believe here at Highland, if you engage in these four spiritual habits, in these rituals, if you want to use high church language, you'd call it sacrament. It's it's graces. It's how God enters the world and changes you. These four things, these rhythms, bring us to restoration. And in restoration, we partner with God to change our lives and to change our city and to change our world. So you're going to be hearing more about this in the next few weeks as as we get further and further into the fall about small groups and way to connect and experiences for worship if you want to participate in that and opportunities for service. But where we're going to begin this semester is in prayer. Now, if you were here the last couple of weeks, then where you know is we've been talking about leadership and we're in a season right now of discerning our uh, uh, our next elders. 
And so you're going to hear more about that as the semester goes on. But we spent a couple of weeks, and I hope you noticed that mostly what we talked about was, was character. That the character of our leaders, our ability for our leaders to look like Jesus, who are gifted to shepherd, mattered more than any other habit or trait that they could have. Character matters. But today I want to kind of push it the other way. Because when it comes to prayer, at least when we look at Luke chapter 11, prayer does not depend on your character. It depends on God's. When it comes to prayer, at least to how I see Luke chapter 11, it does not depend on your character. It depends solely on God's character. I don't know if you've ever had this moment. I've had it in the last three or four weeks, just having coffee and lunches and conversations with people and asking the question like, hey, what's really filling you lately? Where have you seen God lately work? What's changing you? And, and like in three, maybe four different encounters, I had the same thing. It was the same voice. Somebody said, well, you know, I've been listening to the podcast from this church in Portland called Bridgetown. They have this amazing preacher. It's been really changing me. Somebody said, well, I read this book. It was written by this guy, John Mark Homer. And then I figured out John Mark Homer is the guy that preaches at Bridgetown in Portland. And I thought three or four people are saying the same thing. This is either the spirit of God and I need to pay attention or just random chance. But I think it's the spirit of God. And so I checked out his book, and I love this title. It's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And I'm working my way through it. Hurry is from the same root as, as to hurl, the same root as hurricane. Hurry is when you have too many things to do and not enough time. Hurry is when you are out of step of the rhythm that God has called you to. Hurry is the opposite of the picture that we see in Psalm 23. You remember in Psalm 23, it's the story of the good shepherd that watches the sheep. Good shepherds are never in a hurry, but they are always present. And I think hurry is a lot like worry. Hurry does to the body what worry does to the mind. And we know how Jesus says about worry in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, look, don't, don't worry about it. Don't do that because God is going to take care of you. God created the universe, all of the cosmos and the creation. God who takes care of little birds and flowers is going to take care of you. Yet, I, we, we still struggle with worry at times. I mean, what is it about that? The sheer megalomania of insisting that the weight of the problems we hold must firmly rest on our shoulders and our shoulders alone. God of the universe, but you know, really what I need to do is wake up at three in the morning and really wrestle with this. God who can solve anything in the world with a snap of his fingers. But you know what I really need to do is lose hair over the fact that there's a problem that I don't know how to solve. I think that hurry is a lot like worry. Hurry is what happens when we step out of the rhythms of God and put those unhealthy, it's those unhealthy practices they, they get in our body. Hurry is to the body what worry is to the mind. And I think, I think Jesus has a word for us today. 
in Luke chapter 11. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up there. That's where we're going to be the, the rest of the sermon. But before we look at their text, let's pray. Heavenly Father, for the college students that are here, we are so grateful. For all of the lives that you've gathered in this place at this time to assemble together, to, to sing praises to your name, to glorify you as creator and sustainer and redeemer of heaven and earth. For your Holy Spirit that gently leads us back to your heart. All these things, Father, we cannot stop singing our praise again and again. Our only voice is hallelujah. And Father, I pray that this church will be filled with the power of your spirit, filled to the brim so that it will know how wide and far and deep and long is your love in Christ Jesus for us and that we will fill to the fullest measure of your spirit. I pray that we understand and see what it looks like when we fully embrace your love. To that end, I pray that you pour through me the gift of preaching, and I might speak your truth and love to these, your people. And it's together that the church says, amen. So Luke chapter 11 is also, it's, it's also told in Matthew. Matthew also wants to tell this story, but Matthew tells it in a slightly different way. But right before this text that you heard, these two stories, parables about the nature of prayer, in Luke, uh, Jesus is asked the question by his disciples, how do you pray? And so I want us to realize what's happening here. First, Jesus teaches the disciples how to pray, but then he spends more time trying to help them understand God's character. Because when it comes to, to prayer, your character does not matter it's God's character. And then there's these two stories. The first one's pretty straightforward. Someone arrives in the middle of the night, and, you know, if, if this happens to us now, there's no question what you do if you don't have any food for them at your house, and somebody shows up at 3 a.m., there's no question you take them to Waffle House. That's where they go. I mean, what could go wrong at Waffle House at 3 in the morning? I got to be honest with you, I have never been to Waffle House at any point in the day when something went right, either in terms of crime or my own digestive issues. It's just, it's a risk no matter where you go. But in Abilene, we don't have a Waffle House and neither did first century Judea. So that's out of the question. If you can't take them to Waffle House and you don't have any food, well, you go and you ask your neighbor. And this happens to you all the time. Now, I imagine that most of us would say, well, actually, I've never been awoken in the middle of the night at 3 a.m. by my neighbor knocking on the door asking for eggs and bacon or some bread so I can make a sandwich for a guest that just arrived 15 minutes ago. This doesn't happen like that. It may not happen to your next door neighbor, but I think it might have happened from like the next room over. When someone woke up in the middle of the night, and it might not have been bread that they were asking for, it might have just been, can I have a drink of water, or I need to go to the bathroom, or, or they just expressed that need as like crying. And you know exactly where this person in the parable is. If you've ever done this, now I have never done this, where you gently kicked your spouse and then started snoring again. I'm not, gonna, I'm not getting up. It's your turn. That never happens at the Hughes house. Um, first thought well, that was funny. You guys don't. That's your fault. I'm telling you. 
what, what we have to understand in this story, the reason that it's different is, is Western individualism, right? Like, for us, it would be rude to have someone, to go over at someone at, at 2 a.m. to knock on the door to ask for food, right? That, that shows that somebody was not responsible. Somebody should have just taken a trip to H-E-B like a normal person and, and prepared. But, but in, in the first century, the, the honor and shame culture is, is a little bit different because what's at risk is that sometimes passenger people would arrive in just the middle of the night. You can't really control how you travel then. And sometimes the night is the best time to travel because it's safe and it's cool. Other times you don't have that predictable GPS that says you're going to get there at what time. And so it's harder to predict. And so visitors would arrive at random times in the night. You didn't even, sometimes that would even be unannounced. But as the host, what you had to show was hospitality. And hospitality was a very big deal. If you were not able to provide food and, and water and a place to stay for a guest, it not only was a bad reflection on you, it was shameful for you, it would be shameful for your entire family. So it's not really an individual issue, it's a communal issue. And so the neighbor to say, hey, that's not my problem, isn't really true. It absolutely is your neighbor's problem if you don't have food because the shame is not on that person as an individual. It's on the whole city that we didn't provide hospitality for a traveling guest. And so the seeker knows to keep asking because this isn't just a neighbor. The text identifies this as a friend. And if the situation was reversed, if you just give me enough time to get my bearings around me and I can kind of shake the cobwebs loose, I'm going to come to help. And so they keep asking and we keep on knocking and we keep on seeking because God is your friend. Uh, my youth minister when I was growing up he and his wife decided to adopt uh, babies. And they uh, went to Russia. And they found an orphanage that was about 150 miles outside of Moscow. And they, they traveled there. And he would tell this story to us over and over again, the two stories I'm about to tell you. Over and over he would tell us because he wanted us to learn something, something from this experience. He said he walked into the orphanage and in the orphanage it was just like a long, wide hallway. And they had organized the children from youngest to oldest. So in the front were the, the babies and then and the infants and then the toddlers and then the older kids and then the, the big kids were in the very back. And my youth minister would tell me that when he walked into that room, it was eerily quiet. It was disturbingly quiet. And it took him about 15 seconds to realize none of these babies are crying. There's no toddler that's fussing or asking. And then the truth dawned on them that the babies aren't crying because they've learned that crying out doesn't matter. That no one is going to come for them. No one is going to help them in the night. No one's going to protect them. And so they just quit bothering. And so Tim and Michelle, they bring two of their children home from Russia. They end up adopting three or four more. But for those first few weeks that their, their son and their daughter was living at their house, they did not cry out in the night whether they needed help at all. 
But there was this moment about three weeks in where Tim said, okay, here's, here's the moment that everything changed. When those babies were in the orphanage, the way that they were fed is they were sat on a table and, and they, they were given their food and the babies would, the toddlers, the children would put their arms around their food like this and then just eat as quickly as they can because they knew that other children would try to steal their food and this was the only food that they were going to get until the next meal and so they needed to protect that moment. And there was this moment like two or three weeks after they were back that one of his children took a scoopful of oatmeal and just shoved it in his wife's mouth and shared the food because that baby had learned the truth. That baby had learned that they had parents that loved them, that would listen to their needs and that there was more than enough food. There was abundance to go around and they could share that good abundance. God is your friend. Amen. And so we keep on asking and we keep on knocking and we keep on seeking. It's not that you try to pray once and you ask for God and you don't hear anything and so you just, well, quit and move on. That's not the posture of a disciple. The posture of the disciple is to keep moving around in each of these disciplines as we experience the power and the nature of God. This is a posture and a lifestyle. It's not a moment. And then the friend that's woken in the middle of the night in Jesus' mind wakes up and his children awake as well and the story changes a little bit. And he says, what kind of father's out there? When their child asks for a fish, they give them a water snake. Or the child asks for eggs and you give them scorpions. I mean, Jesus expects the answer to be, no, fathers don't do that kind of thing. He even adds, Luke adds in the text, even the evil people don't do that to your kids. And Jesus says, how much more does your father in heaven give good things? good things to you. Snakes and scorpions show up in this text in Luke chapter 10, right? Those are the things that the disciples, when they're being sent out on, on, the, on limited missions, are not afraid of. Those are the things that can be stepped on because with the power of the Holy Spirit, you are protected. But I think the reality is for some of us, we grew up in households where we ask for fish and we were given snakes and we asked for eggs and we were given scorpions. We sought good things and we were not given blessings. We had been cursed. And that's just kind of how the way the world is. And Jesus wants to say, how much more? How much more will the king of heaven give to you? Even in our most well-intentioned moments, we will fall short of the good things that God has planned for us. The ways that we would serve like conduits to bless others, we will fall short. But the king of heaven never will. I mean, you think about what is the nature of prayer? That the creator of the universe has time to listen to your request. 
I mean, doesn't the sustainer of the cosmos have other and more important things to do? Tim Keller says it this way. Who dares wake the king in the middle of the night? Who dares enter the king's presence at night without being summoned? Only his child. Abba, I'm scared. Abba, I can't sleep. Abba, it's dark. Abba, I need you. God is your friend. God is also your parent that gives you what you need. And Luke here ends a little differently than in Matthew. Matthew would tell us that that God gives us good gifts. But Luke says the Holy Spirit. Now that may be because that's one of the focuses that's in Luke and Acts, that there's the Holy Spirit drives the story of the gospel. It drives the power of Jesus. It shapes the way that the church functions. And so the Holy Spirit is central to Luke's understanding of what the church is supposed to do. But the reality is, is that God gives us the Spirit and that is enough. Because I think sometimes we're going to spend a lot of our lives asking for things that we think are fish, but are actually snakes. And I think sometimes we're going to spend a lot of our lives asking for things that look like bread, but are actually rocks. And sometimes we're going to spend a lot of our lives asking for things that look like eggs, but actually sting us. But what we need is the Holy Spirit. What we need is to be aligned with the kingdom of God. You can ask God for everything. And God is ready to try to answer that prayer. But in my experience, the prayers that get answered the easiest and the fastest is the prayer that sounds something like, God, please give me your spirit so that I can be brave enough to do what I ought. Please give me your spirit so that I can be wise enough to navigate this complicated question. Please give me your spirit so I can serve the least of these the way that your son Jesus did. The prayer that puts us in the posture to be formed by God is the prayer that asks us to be aligned with God's kingdom. And the truth is, when God gives you the Holy Spirit, that's enough. It doesn't depend on your character. It depends on the character of God. And so we want to do uh, some exercises for this season with prayer. And, And I'm inviting you to do this on your own. We know that worship can't happen just on Sunday. That's not enough for us to be fully formed in who God is calling us to be. I believe that prayer needs to happen more often than not. And so we've got this kind of a a daily um, practical guide for prayer that we want to share with you. And basically it's four things that we want you to do every day for the next six weeks. We want you to be formed, put yourself in the posture where you can receive the presence of God. And there's a lot of different ways you can get there. You can find it in your email if you're on our mailing list. Uh, If you're not, just put yourself on that Connect card and we'll start sending it to you. Uh, You can find it on our Instagram stories if you uh, delve into that part of social media. Or you can find it at highlandchurch.org slash loud. Every day we're going to ask you to do four things. 
We want you to pray the Lord's Prayer out loud. We want you to read a psalm, and each, each day we'll give you a new psalm. Remember that the Psalter, the, the book that we have in the Bible about psalms, that was the first church's church of the first century's prayer book. That's what, those are the prayers that the early church prayed. And then we want you to, to, to read or listen to some words of Jesus, some things that Jesus said. And then we want you to gauge in an exercise. And maybe it's silence, or maybe it's a breath prayer, or maybe it's, it's holding on to a thought as, loud, as long as you can. Maybe it's a, a practice of spiritual meditation. We'll change that up week to week and day to day. Uh, but we want you to try these exercises. And I know it's a lot to ask you to be consistent for six weeks, seven, six days a week. Um, well, not, well, we won't do anything on Sunday. You'll be in here. It'll be okay. Um, so what I want you to do is I want you to turn to somebody next to you and say, I'm going to do this for six weeks. And if you can't say that, say, I'm going to try to do this for six weeks. And if you can't say that, say, I want you to help me think about trying to do this for six weeks, right? Turn to somebody and say that if you can say that. If you set your intention, it's way more likely to happen. If you are a parent, do this with your children. This is something you can do around the dinner table. So pay attention to your emails. Uh, you can find it on Instagram or at highlandchurch.org. We're going to have an audio version on the website. So if, if reading's not your thing or you're too young to know how to read, uh, you can listen together. I want to invite our prayer team forward. Uh, in just a minute, we're going to dismiss our prayer team is available to you at the end of the service. Uh, they, they just, they want to pray with you. They want to be able to talk with you. If you have a need that they can meet or a concern that you don't want to hold by yourself, they're available for you. Whether that's a prayer right now or maybe it's a conversation that needs to happen sometime later this week, they're available for you. Uh, would you please stand for our benediction? Highland, God is your friend. And in the middle of the night, when there is no other help, God will help you. And so we keep asking, and we keep knocking, and we keep seeking. Highland, God is the good parent. The parent that wants to give you good gifts, and the best gift of all is his Holy Spirit. So may you this week be empowered and filled by the Holy Spirit. May it guide your thoughts and give you courage and help you know the right thing to do. May this week you experience the mystery and the wonder of God. May you delve deeper into that pool that has no bottom. May you this week look like Jesus. May you love and care and be merciful to everyone around you. Be filled with God's presence and go in peace. Thank you for being here.